0: week we kicked off a series on dangerous prayers based on a book by Craig Rochelle that he released this past week and and we talked about how dangerous prayers isn't being careless like some of the pictures that you'll see on screen it's it's not just having some of the my PowerPoint person will catch up with me in just a second. Well, uh, is not just climbing up ladders and things like this in a reckless manner? Or if you look at the next one, uh, climbing on cars and, and, and just being reckless in general. There's one more here. Uh, you know, we just kind of put those two together. And when we talk about dangerous prayers, we're talking about going beyond praying those safe prayers of protect me, help me, heal me. We're asking you to pray some big, bow prayers, such as we covered last week, search me. We remember Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We're asking you to pray these prayers that make you feel a little uncomfortable. We're asking you to jump on the deep end of the pool. We're asking you to pray prayers that might stretch you. And today, we're praying a prayer that doesn't make a lot of sense. Break me. I mean, that's like saying, God, send me to the dentist for a root canal and don't give me a shot to numb the area. God, help me fall flat on my face and help me break all my bones. I mean, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. Lord, break me. In in our culture, we don't have a lot of respect for things that are broken. Broken dishes, broken furniture, broken toys, we tend to put them in the trash can. We tend to haul them off at the landfill. Broken cars, eventually, if they break enough times, we take them to the junkyard, scrap them out. But you, but I'm asking you to pray this prayer that doesn't make a lot of sense. Break me. Break me. A the theme that we'll see subtly in the Bible is that God works in brokenness. If you turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 18, that's where we're going to spend a lot of time at today. Luke chapter 18, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's got this group of followers. And he's walking, and as he's walking, he's teaching. And he tells two parables. The first parable, he's telling to his disciples, and, he, and both of these parables are about prayer. And in this first parable, he basically says we need to be persistent in our prayer, to keep on praying, not to give up praying. And then he tells this parable. He says, then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence. Notice this, had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, a religious teacher, someone who knew God's word. The other was a despised tax collector. You have this righteous Pharisee, you have this despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Your translation might say, pray to himself. I thank God that I'm not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. Monday and Thursday was the normal occasion that Pharisees would would fast. I give a tenth of my income. God, I'm pretty good. God, I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy. I mean, look at all the things that I do. I mean, I love myself quite a bit, God. Thank you for making me, me. This man really didn't, wasn't praying to God, was he? He's just praying to himself. God, I am just wonderful. And then on the other hand, we have a tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed, which was the normal prayer posture. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I'm a broken individual, I'm nothing. I tell you this. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, which would have been shocking, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When we talk about praying this prayer, break me, when we, when we say, break me, what we're asking God to do is to help us have humility. It's a, a prayer of humility. If you look in, in Psalm 51, David has just committed a major sin. He, had, uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, tried to cover it up by having her husband killed, and he's been confronted by Nathan the prophet, and and now his sin is out in the open, and and he realizes he's blown it, and we're going to look at this in a couple of weeks, a little bit in more detail, but he writes these, these words in verses 16 and 17. He says, you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a what? A broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. David says, it's not just about reading the Bible more. It's not just about serving more. It's not just about giving more and knowing that God would love you anymore. No, it's coming before God and laying out your heart and saying, God, here I am. Here's all of me. I surrender you my life. He's blown it. Everyone knows that he's messed up. That that hidden sin that was in his heart, it's come out, and and now he's broken into pieces. This this word broken is interesting. In Hebrew, it it actually means to to be shattered, to to burst, kind of like a balloon bursting. kind of means like a vase, being shattered into pieces. And, And this is how David feels. He he feels like he's broken in a million pieces and he says, again, the sacrifice you desire is that broken spirit, that place that comes from a place of humility. I I want you to to see what James says. Bob Longfield read it earlier, but it says he gives grace generously as the scripture says. God opposes the who. Who? the proud, and gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. There's this sense that pride causes a wall between us and God. I I I love this little quote from Tim Keller. Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently and slowly kills you without you ever knowing. Think about that. It, it just slowly gets into your life. And, and it works. And, and there's so many different ways that pride sticks its ugly head up. You're going to see a few of those on screen. Pride craves compliments. Compliments. Pride craves confidence. I I just want people to praise me and tell me how good I am. It it craves attention. We've been around people that love to be the center of attention, right? Makes you talk about yourself a lot. Oh, uh, let me tell you this and let me tell you that. It name drops. Why does it name drop? Because you want to feel important. It says you must give everyone your opinion. Have you been around people like that? That they always have to give their opinion about it? Right, wrong, or indifferent, they've got to give their opinion. It says, you deserve better. You deserve the bigger piece of cake. You deserve the better parking lot. I can sing better. I can play the instruments better. I can preach better. I should be up there. I should, I should, I should. I deserve better than what I'm getting. I deserve to be boss. I deserve you fill in the blank. It says pride is judgmental. It loves to pick out the faults in other people, yet ignoring the faults in our own life. It assumes that you already know something when someone else is teaching. I can tune them off. I already know what they're going to talk about. I know the subject better. It makes you feel like you need to teach people constantly. People need to hear what I have to say. It it says that you're too good to do certain tasks. I can't sweep. I can't mop. I can't do this. That's for other people. That's for the deacons. That's for the ministers. I I, I can't do that. It it won't allow you to ask for help. Now I went to meddling, didn't I? We don't like to ask for help. We like to be independent, but pride says, no, I I, I can't ask for help. It it makes you obsess about how you look. Got to look good. I want everyone to say, oh, he looks good. He's got a tie on. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Keeps you from hearing feedback. No, I don't want to know what, I don't want to hear any constructive criticism. I, I don't want to hear that I might have done something wrong or I could have done something better. It makes you unwilling to submit to authority. You want to be of the authority. You don't want to submit to anyone. It makes you ignore people's attempt to communicate with you. You're not going to respond to the email, the phone calls, the text messages because you're busy, you're important, you don't have time to respond to people. It justifies sin instead of admitting it. It rationalizes sin. I, you know what, I'm not there's a reason why I'm doing this and I don't want to deal with this. It's at the heart of arguments. Think about most of the arguments that you have in life. It's normally because of pride. It's normally because of selfishness. It's because we want our own way. And sometimes when we don't get our own way, what do we do? We say, well, I'm just going to leave, and I'm not going to deal with this. And I see it played out time and time again. It's at the core of worry and anxiety. It says, I have to fix all of the problems. I'm the Messiah. I have the power. And, and we, it keeps us up at night, and it churns in us instead of releasing it and surrendering it over to God. Pride. Pride. We, we see several examples of pride in the Bible. You think about Adam and Eve as they ate from that tree. God said, hey, you can eat anything. Just don't eat from this. And Adam and Eve said, ah, oh, I think I might know better than God. Let me try this. And we've seen the effects King David could be mentioned several times, but at one point in time, he decided to take a census of all of his army to show how powerful he was. Instead of trusting God, he was trusting in his army, and like, hey, look at me. Look at how big my army is. You look at King Uzziah, yeah, I won't read these verses, but basically he decided he was going to take the form of a priest. He goes into the temple, and he scolds the priest, and God humbles him right away. He strikes him with leprosy on his forehead. God opposes the proud. When we think about Herod, he claimed to be deity, and God strikes him dead, and he's eaten by worms. God has a way at humbling us. My wife, she said something brilliant this week. She, she says a lot of brilliant things. Most of the time I listen. She said, the reason why I think a lot of people don't pray this prayer break me is because we don't realize we need to be broken. We We... we, we Can see it in other people that need to be broken. We we can say, oh, that person's struggling with this addiction, with this alcohol, or this drug problem, or whatever the case may be. And and we might pray, Lord, help them be broken. We might say, well, that person has a hard heart. They don't want to hear God, or they're acting in this way. Lord, please break them. I've prayed the prayer for my kids. I've said, God, break them. Help them understand. Get their attention. But so often, we don't, we don't pray that prayer in our life. We think that prayer is for someone else. And could it be that that prayer is not for someone else, but that the prayer might actually be for us? That God wants us to come before him, and he wants to lean us to become dependent on him. That he wants us to, to lean on him. That he wants us to surrender our whole lives to him. And that's a little scary for us. Well, we, we hold on to certain things, but when we say break me, Lord, show me everything in my life that I'm not depending on you. Help me lean on you. Some of you, you're saying, Ronnie, I don't want to pray this prayer because I already feel like I'm in a season of brokenness. I mean, have you seen the things that I'm going through? And as I look out here, I see some brokenness. I know some of you are going through some serious issues. Some of you have some health issues. And, and, and you have kind of feel broken in, into a lot of pieces. Some of you have some financial issues going on. Some of you have some marriage issues. Some of you have some child issues going on. And you're in this season of, of just brokenness, and you, you just don't know what to do, and you're like, Ronnie, you're telling me to pray this prayer, and and I'm in this season. You're in that season. I've been in that season. Sometimes I continue to be in that season. And, And so this prayer doesn't make a lot of sense. But I can tell you we all experience brokenness from time to time. Whether we pray this prayer or not, and I think God uses that to get our attention I've shared this story, or part of this story before, but I'm just going to kind of put myself out here, and I'm just going to ask that you kind of hang with me. February is always a sentimental month for my family, and it's not because of Valentine's Day. February 2017, life was going pretty good for my family, at least I thought. You know, ministry was good, family was good, you have your ups and downs, but but life was pretty good. And then one February night, I got a phone call. And that phone call said, hey, did you know your son plans on committing suicide the next day? And I said, what? It was so hard for me to comprehend because I had walked the block with him that afternoon And so we end up going into his room and we end up talking with him and evidently he had been holding in a lot of things and he was in a deep depression. And I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing as a parent. And we ended up realizing he needed some serious help. And so we said, hey, we gotta take you to a hospital because this is beyond what we know what to do with. And so we loaded the Kids into the to a car, we dropped a couple of them off at grandma's, and and we went to the hospital. And if you've never had that experience, as a parent, it's probably one of the hardest things you'll ever go through. You're answering questions and, and you don't know what to expect. But I think the hardest thing for us was we dropped off our son in this place and said, Hey, you can't have contact with him except at these times. Julie and I went home. We couldn't sleep. We cried a lot. We said, God, please save our son. And then those those feelings of, God, what did we do wrong? Here I'm a minister. I can point out depression in other people. I've helped people with depression. I can't even see it in my own son. I felt shame and I felt guilt. And I felt broken. And I felt scared because I didn't know what people would say about him. I didn't know what people would say about us. And and you have all of these feelings and all of these emotions. And I just remember trying to put a brave face on and trying to go through this. My wife tried to do the same thing. And and people have said, "Ronnie, you should have told us what you were going through. And, And I said, you know, you're probably right, and there was probably some pride there. But sometimes things hurt so bad that it's hard to talk about, that you feel like you're just going to fall apart. And I know some of you are like that in this room right now. You're going through some tough times, and and you're fragile, and you just feel like you're just going to turn into jelly. It was February, like I said, will always be a, a sensitive month for us because we remember that season. It was a few days later that I went and picked up my son from the hospital. It was early a Sunday morning. The waiting room was dark, it was empty. It was a TV on, I still remember that. And, I remember, and they said, yeah, you need to wait here for a while until we can get him around and then we'll go over a few things. And, and so I sat there and again, I was just nervous. I had this anxiety. And Charles Stanley was preaching on TV that morning. And I'll never forget the sermon. It was called Down But Not Out. Down But Not Out. And as I was sitting in this waiting room, I said, God, thank you for that ray of sunshine. That I just needed something to remind me that I could get through this season of brokenness. For some of you... You need to be reminded of this verse in Psalms, Psalm 34. says that God is close to those who are brokenhearted. He's close to those who are brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That, that's a verse that I hold on to in times of brokenness. I, I love this quote the best view comes after the hardest climb. But some of you are saying, Ronnie, I'm in the midst of the climb. I'm, I'm barely holding on. And, and maybe your prayer says, God, help me see you as I'm climbing right now. I, I know something else is coming ahead. I know that there'll be better times. But right now, just help me see you. Help me lean into you. Help me, help me see you. See, this prayer that I'm, praying, that I'm asking you to pray, it's not an easy prayer. It, it, it's a prayer that sometimes will put you flat on your face. It's one of the best prayers that you can ever pray because it puts you in this humble state and God begins to transform your life. I want to leave you with three questions to, to think about as you're praying this prayer. First of all, how does pride manifest itself in your life? How does pride manifest itself in your life? It takes many forms and it's sneaky and and you just don't know exactly how it will manifest itself. But I want you to begin, begin to think through this. Secondly, are there any areas in my life which I need to be broken? Is there any areas in my life that I need to be broken? And then thirdly, when I experience brokenness, who are the people that I can talk to? Who's some people in my life that, as I'm going through this, that I trust that will give me godly wisdom? that will sit there with me and comfort me and encourage me and pray with me. There's an old story about a famous violinist. He wanted to have this violin made, and so he went to this individual that was supposed to be really great at it. and, And so that guy eventually came in and presented him this violin that was so amazing. But the famous violinist started playing it he said, this sounds terrible. And he got so angry, and, and it's kind of hard for us to imagine, but he got so angry, he took the violin, and he just smashed it down. He said, the tone, just everything is just no good. Well, you can imagine the creator of this violin, he had put hours and hours of, of working on this, and, and so he gathers the violin pieces up, and he, he says. Sir, I'll work on this. I'll try to find something that you'll like. He really wanted to impress this fi- famous violinist. And, and so he, he came back, and again, he presented a violin to this famous violinist. And he began to play, and he's like, wow, this is so much better. What did you do? The maker said, well, actually, I gathered up the pieces. And I put those together, and the violin that you shattered actually is the same violin that you're playing. That's the type of God that we have. Even though we're shattered into pieces, even though we're broken, he works through us, and he does amazing things. We just don't need to give up. We need to keep on coming humbly.